Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh God, we, we pause having been reminded by song of your holiness that you are an awesome, powerful God <clears throat> and that we enjoy your presence. We thank you that you are here among us and that you are the center of our worship that we lift up our hearts to praise you, honor you. We pray, oh God, that you'll continue to help us to express to you our great love for you, for you alone are worthy of all our praise. Oh God, this morning our hearts are heavy and we just pray for our brothers and sisters in Cuba in this tragic loss of so much church leadership. Many congregations today find themselves without their pastors. And so, O oh Father, because you are perfect in your wisdom and all the things you do are good, I pray, O oh God, that you would raise up another generation of leaders, tenfold, a hundredfold, and that this would be, O oh God, a moment for that church that has, had so, has faced so much hardship, to experience the great, awesome power of the living Christ, to comfort them and help the families, the losses, but strengthen the church in its resolve to serve you and worship you and reach out, oh God, so that many more will come to know you and there'll be a great revival in that place. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Well, as I look out on my backyard on this beautiful first of summer weekend, or we're going to call it that anyway, I know summer's not here, but we can't wait, can we? I'm disappointed, to say the least. I look at my crab apple tree, and it's gorgeous, riddled with blossoms. It's going to produce crab apples. Big deal. I look at my Macintosh apple tree, not a blossom in sight. This is going to be the second year in a row that it's going to tease me into believing that it's an apple tree, but not to produce any apples. Now, when an apple tree doesn't produce any apples, there's a reason for that. It must be unhealthy. It's not also being taken care of very well. Two possibilities. But I think it's unhealthy. Because an apple tree is supposed to produce apples. Do you realize that Christians are supposed to produce fruit as well? We're supposed to produce many different varieties, but in particular, joy. In fact, if... Uh, we're in any given setting, and people say, we need more joy here. What should we be looking We should be looking for Christians, whether it's the workplace or in the school. We need some more joy. Well, let's get ourselves some Christians. I wonder when God looks out at our church. I wonder if he's as disappointed as I am in looking in my backyard. We look good, but is there any fruit? We're going to study uh, for the next number of weeks the book of Philippians. And Philippians, the theme of Philippians is joy. It's really the theme that, that, that works its way throughout all of that particular text. It's just sort of one facet of the fruitfulness of Christians. And talks to us there, Paul talks to us there in his great letter about what it means to be a joyful Christian and how we can be a joyful Christian. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd invite you to start there with, with me at the book of Philippians. And uh, just a little bit of background uh, for us. Uh, Paul left, the Apostle Paul left uh, Troy, Turkey for Philippi, or Philippi, however you want to pronounce it. I guess we don't say Philipp Philippians, so we say Philippians, so it's Philippi. So he left for Philippi in 60, yes it is, it's pronounced Philippi, 60 to 61 AD, uh, around 30 years after Christ ascended to heaven, and in a not-so-chance prayer meeting, 
a church plant began. He left Troy, Turkey, went to Philippi, Macedonia. He wasn't in a synagogue, wasn't in a building. He was out by a river, a very small river. And there he met one of his countrywomen, uh, a seller, a dealer in purple dye by the name of Lydia. You've probably heard of her. In fact, if you want the historical background of this church, you'd turn to Acts 16. You'd read there. And you'd discover that she was from Theatira, Turkey, and she was a worshiper of God, but had never met Jesus Christ. And Paul led her to Christ, and she became the first convert of that church in that particular city, a Roman colony, a very famous and important Roman colony. And his second convert, it appears to be a demon-possessed slave girl, fortune teller, who he delivered from demons, and she became the second part of the church. And then there was a suicidal jailer who came to know Christ, and became the church. And that's how the church began. With a ragtag group of people. A seller of purple dye. A slave girl fortune teller. And a suicidal jailer. That's how God brings a church together. We're a ragtag group of ragged muffins. That nobody else would pick. And God chooses us and puts us all together in a church. And makes something special of us. And that's the story of church. And that's. That's why our joy is complete and filled because of what Christ does to us, does for us and through us. And um, it's interesting because here we have this obscure Middle Eastern rabbi who came to know Christ, who writes this letter that is preserved and, and is enjoyed for centuries. Um, and uh, it, it was written, of course, at the time of Emperor Nero who was himself also a prolific writer. And, and this book is a testament to the um, superintending and supervisory power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because uh, Nero, who was also a prolific writer, uh, left virtually nothing behind. And as one writer puts it, uh, we name our dogs Nero and we name our sons Paul. And I think that's a good um, expression of the, grit, the, the relative value of the two of them. And so the theme is joy of life together in Christ. And unity is mission critical. It's established here. It's the divine intention of, of Christ. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. Cradled in, and it's cradled in the, the joy experience of the Christian. So having said that, let's uh, read. Uh, I just want to read the first 11 verses of chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. I, I want you to note how many times... The name Jesus appears in these verses. I circled it in my Bible. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then be, one of my very favorite verses, maybe it may be a, at the very top, being confident of this, that he, who's he referring to? Jesus, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you and with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God. What an amazing, uh, amazing out of the gate teaching this is. Um, I, I want to uh, share with you that there are two, two approaches in life in the quest for joy. Uh, one is right and one is wrong. Uh, the first, of course, is a very humanistic approach where self is at the center. And, and that really expresses the, 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 the approach that, that most of the people in the world are, are seeking. They're seeking joy 
uh, by putting themselves at the very center of their interest and importance and, and believing that they're going to experience joy that way. But, but there's another approach where Christ is at the center uh, and, and he is the one who provides joy. And he brings us into community and community that brings joy into our lives. And so I want to share with you that that, that is what the Apostle Paul is going to uh, con, con, uh, contend and he's going to teach us. And we need to reset our approach and our attitude to our faith so that we can engage in the joy we're meant to experience. God's people are meant to experience joy. And joy is not about how you feel and it's not about your circumstances. It's, it's far deeper than that. And we're going to look at a, a definition of it as we get out of the gate here in Philippians today. And, and so the first is this. Joy happens when you know who you really are. In these first two verses, which, which often you would just skip over quickly, I, I don't want to skip over quickly with you today because they are so packed. It's quite interesting that, that, that the Apostle Paul uses a common letter style in how he addresses the church uh, in a very familiar way of the culture. It's, he, he doesn't change the style. It would be normal for them, whether you were a Christian or not, it would be normal for them in their writing to each other to express who they were and, and, and what their identity was. And, and then they would also offer some sort of prayer to the gods for that, that they would be look out for them and all that kind of stuff. So he, he packages this in the same cultural style, but highly theologizes it. It's kind of interesting because what you, you see here is a familiar media message, messaging, packaging the gospel. And that's really instructive for us as we, we learn from the Apostle Paul at, at how to engage in, in our own methodology of, of getting theology out to our world. It, 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 it is uh, appropriate to adopt the media message style of the day and then theologize it. That people might be familiar with how this, the, the pattern and the layout of the communication is, but by the same time, learn the truth at the same time. So this is how Paul engages here. And I want to share with you three, three things today. If you wish to understand and embrace and enjoy joy, then uh, this letter opens up the way for us. And, and I want to start out by saying in these first couple of verses, joy happens when you know who you really are. It's critical, you know, Christian, loved one, do you know who you are? I mean, do you really know who you are? I I'm suspicious that, that maybe we don't. Uh, if we really knew who we were, who we are, there would be more joy in our lives. Now, let, let's unpackage this. Let's look at this. Uh, Paul doesn't open the letter by pulling rank. He pushes identity. Paul and Timothy. Literally, he says, slaves of Christ Jesus. Slaves of, yes, he's using, we, we, we kind of soften it with the word servants here in the, most of the translations, but the word is slaves. Uh, when the original audience was reading this letter, they saw the word slaves. And this is pretty important as well, because Paul is teaching here about an exchange of position that's been made for each one of us. We were formally slaves to ourselves and to our sin. And Paul says, guess what? This is who you now are. You have become slaves of Jesus Christ, who is crazy in love with you. This, this Christ, now own, you are now owned by a gracious, benevolent God who loves you. A master who's crazy in love with you. So it's not until we realize that we were born as slaves to sin that we can really now appreciate that we have the joy of being reborn as a slave of Christ. So he uses this word on purpose. It's very particular for him. We are now owned. We were owned by sin. We were owned by ourselves. That doesn't bring joy. We have now had that exchange made so that we are slaves no longer to sin 
or no longer to ourselves, but our status, our identity, this is who we are. We are slaves to Jesus Christ, the one who loves us. And it's interesting here because to those who would know the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures, they would be familiar with this particular style of identity. It would be normal for someone in the Old Testament context to say, hi, I'm Rick, a servant of the living God. And so when they're reading this, or a slave of the living God, when they're looking at this, they're saying, Paul has now called Christ Jesus what used to be uh, a reference to the living God. Therefore, this is a great statement of divinity. The servants of God, servants of Jehovah Lord, servants of Jesus Christ, one and the same. Slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is completely, legitimately interchangeable as Lord Jehovah. Critical, critical statement. That's who we are. Stress is on ownership. Joy comes from knowing that we are in joyful servitude to one who loves us. And we serve him gladly because he has bought us out of a horrible mess. The mess of slavery to sin and self. But secondly, he says here, to all the saints... In Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers or pastors or elders, same words, same reference, same office, and deacons. So there's a structure to the, this early church. Since you are a believer, he says here, you are a saint, not by effort or behavior, but just because you've been called out by God. This is really, really an important piece of theology. It's important for us to know who we are. It is a special status. We are called saints of the living God. A special status, but not a special order of people within that special status. We don't look around and say, um, well, you're a saint and you're a saint, but you're not yet a saint and you're not a saint. If you've come to know Jesus Christ, any one of you, we are saints of the living God. It would be appropriate for you to wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, good morning, Saint Rick. Well, you might want to say your name, <laughs> but it would be very appropriate for you to do that. Harry Ironside, who was a pastor uh, in a bygone era of Moody uh, uh, Church in Chicago, was one time uh, on a train ride from the West Coast back to Chicago. And in his uh, cabin with him were three nuns who were traveling with him. And if you know anything about our Catholic friends, they have a different understanding of this particular idea of saints that you have to do something really, really, really special to be considered a saint. And so he thought he would have some fun with them. And so they had a good conversation all the way back. And he said to the nuns, he said, hey, have you, have you ever met a, like a real living saint? And they thought to themselves and they said, no, no, we have not. Of course we have not. And he said, yes, you have. And they said, well, no, actually we haven't. They said, no, yes, you have. So, well, no, we haven't. And he said, I want to introduce myself to you. I am St. Harry. And we're like, what? Yes. And he was absolutely correct, 100% correct. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint. Now, I'm building up your joy a little bit here. You're a servant of the living God. You are a saint. And, and it says together with, there's, there's a, it's a level playing field in Christianity. It's important to see this. Paul, Timothy, all of you, pastors, deacons, whoever you are, you're saints of the living Christ. That's who you are. That's your identity. Because just because you've been set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ and brought into his family. This is a very important, uh, a, a very important truth. We've been set apart from the nations to experience and live out what it looks like to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We are those people who identify as that. And, you know, I, I, clearly, we, we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, hey, I'm a slave of the living Christ, and I'm a saint of the living Christ. I know what I got to do when I gotta go home this afternoon. I got to go out to that apple tree, and I got to say, you're an apple tree! I, I think it's forgotten its identity. You're an apple tree. Apple trees bear apples. Come on. And that's who we are. We're Christians. We, we are 
those who bear the fruit of joy. We bear, we bear joy. And then he says, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Third time in just this small section, he's talking about Jesus Christ. Do you think he wants us to get the idea of Christ at the center of it all? That Christ is the all in all? And I, I think so. But here we are, uh, third under who we really are, is we're at peace with God. Maybe, maybe we just take for that for granted. Maybe we've, we've sort of lived with that so long that we're just... But it's not something to take for granted. To be at peace with God. And I hope you notice in the text here, there's a particular order to it. Grace and peace. Grace precedes peace. We are at peace with God because of the tender mercies of our great God. Who not because we deserved anything, but because of his tender mercy and by his grace, he's called us into his amazing family and given us peace with God through now and throughout all of eternity. That's what we are being taught here. The grace of God, of course, though, is not grace to be ignored. It's very important that, that we understand what this grace really means. The grace of God needs to be met by our authentic action that is expected of those who have been graced by the living God and brought into his family. This is not a passive family we've been brought into. God has brought us to be slaves of Christ, saints of the living Christ. We are at peace with God through his grace. Not, not to be passive, but rather to, to demonstrate in our lives the action that comes along with what it means to be set in the family of God, to represent God to the nations. What an awesome privilege this is. That's who we are. We need to understand and, and, and revisit our identity and reset our approach and our emotions on who we are. I'm convinced that Christians struggle with, um, with what, what, how we are supposed to live and the fruit of the Spirit that we're supposed to enjoy because we have lost sense of our identity. Let's not get messed up in all of the people around us who are so struggling and so confused about their identities. We are not confused about who we are. Are we? I hope not. Paul, that's his opening salvo, and it's pretty, pretty powerful. So literally, I, I would say we are a graced slave saint at peace with God. We are a graced slave saint at peace with God. Who am I? Who are you? A graced slave saint at peace with God. Okay? Now, there's something more we need to look at here in the next couple of verses, 3 through 8. Joy happens when you know what you have. Not only does joy happen when you know who you are, but joy happens when you know what you have. Do we know what we have? Do we really know what we have? Are we thankful for what we have? Because Paul says here, I thank my God every time I remember you. By the way, I think, I think this church at Philippi was his favorite church. I, I think he just loved this church. I, I, in fact, I know. He, and I, I, you know, you're not playing favorites, but Corinth gave him so much hassle and all that. He just loved these people. For, for whatever reason, they were just one of those lovable group of Christians. And, and, that, and that's who they were. He loved them so much. And he said, I thank my God every time I remember you. I, I, I think the same way about our church. I love Calvary Baptist Church. I love the people of Calvary Baptist Church. You are, so, you are fantastic people and, and wonderful saints. And I, I thank the Lord every day, and I think about you a lot. And in, in my prayers for all of you, I always pray, and I pray with joy, thanking the Lord so much that I have the privilege of being part of this congregation. And so he was. He prayed like that because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Joy happens when you know what you have. So what did they have? What is he telling them they have here? Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, he, he, he identifies this as an uncommon communion created by God. I like that. He says, I thank God you've been put in this partnership. What is our world? We have what everybody out there is longing for. Do we realize this? Every, all the lonely souls out there, all the people who are disconnected, all the people who have no one who cares for them, all the people who are, are, are looking to belong, are looking to, to matter, are looking to count, are looking to care, to be cared for. We have this. 
This amazing word partnership or fellowship or however you want to describe it. This is what we have in Christ Jesus. He has brought us together into this amazing group of people who love one another, at least we're supposed to, who care for one another, at least we're supposed to, who rejoice when we rejoice, who are sad when we're sad. We, we in this great and grand family of God, we have been given what the rest of the world is longing to have, community and loving one another and caring for one another. If we're not doing that, we're missing the mark. And we're unified not by social or racial interests. Our, unite, our, our, our unity is far bigger than that. Our unity is our share in the common truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus can change a life from being enslaved to self and sin and headed to hell to, be, to being a slave to Jesus Christ, redeemed, rescued, no longer guilty, uh, a child of God, eternally in the family of God. This is what we represent. This is our partnership. And we keep on advancing this glorious truth together. And we enjoy this truth together. It's a deep partnership in the ultimate reality of, 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 of the way things really are and the way things are really supposed to be. We measure our association not by uh, passing social fads, not by ideals, not by style, not by form, not by customs, not by traditions, not by ceremonies, not by costumes. That's not our unity. Our unity is based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ alone can change a life. And since unity is mission critical, it's important that we get this right. And the price of admission to this uncommon communion is our, our belief in Jesus Christ as the one Savior, the one who can rescue us, the one who has saved us. We can never trade truth for unity. Otherwise, we've reverted to a man-centered religion. That's what people are trying to do. That's what all those people are trying to say. Well, let's, let's just get all, all of us together. Let's, let's unite all the religions of the world. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we just had a massive group hug and all get together? And you know what? Um, sentimentally, that sounds really good to us. It, it sounds good, the commonality of humanity. That, that sounds like a good thing. But, but brothers and sisters, we can't have unity and jettison the truth. And the truth, we, we are, the reason we are brought together is because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can't give up that truth for the sake of trying to make some sort of man-made unity. So, so we could never be un, in unity with Muslims or unity with Jews or unity with Buddhists or unity with Hindus or unity with anyone who doesn't claim the Lord Jesus Christ as only Lord and Savior and very God of very gods. It's not possible to have unity. So Paul's joy and thanksgiving is not a human unity, but rather a gospel one. Your partnership in the glorious gospel that sets people free from their sins. Religion doesn't set people free from their sins. Jesus Christ sets people free. Religion doesn't bring people to God. Jesus Christ brings people to God. And it's a disservice for us to try and suggest to people that we have this great group hug unity apart from Jesus Christ. We are aiding and abetting the going to hell of thousands and thousands of people by doing that. So it matters that we are people who are in this uncommon communion that is made by God through Jesus Christ. And then he launches into this, here's another reason for you to be joyful. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is, this is um, when you are called out by the Lord Jesus Christ to represent the new covenant you are powered up to see it through by Jesus Christ. I hope we, see, we understand what this means. We have confidence in God as finisher of what he has started in our lives. 
If you have come to know Jesus Christ, he is promising by this verse that he will finish the good work that he's begun in you. That, that's amazing because it doesn't, it's not dependent on our self-effort. We would surely drift away. We would surely fail. The same Lord that has called us into his kingdom by his grace is preserving us in his kingdom by his grace. This is the great doctrine of the, uh, of the perseverance of the saints. If you've come to know Jesus Christ, he is promising you that he will never release you from his family, not ever. You are kept and held, not by your own strength, by his. People do not seek God. In fact, people reject him. But when Jesus calls people into his family, they receive him. And when they receive him, he protects them in his family forever. That's the promise. He takes it upon himself to finish the job in your life, whatever it takes. Now, there are some amazing other scripture verses. I'm not going to take the time. We don't have the time to, to turn to, but I'm going to give them to you, and you should jot them down and look at them. They're they're faith builder verses. John 10, 27 and 28. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Hebrews 10, 14. Look at those verses and just feed your soul with you. He will keep you willing and able to live out the evidence that the Holy Spirit has really moved into your life and you have really become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not self-energized. It is by Christ himself being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Lord Jesus. When's the day of the Lord Jesus? When he comes to get us. So from the start of your salvation to the end where Christ comes to take you into glory forever and ever, Jesus takes it upon himself to preserve you in his family. Is that not amazing? You say, well, I know people that, I know people that, you know, they claim to be in the family of God, but they just went away. How does that happen? Did Jesus lose his touch? No, no. 1 John 2.19. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they would not have gone out from us. That's the teaching of the scriptures. And then I, I notice something else here. It is right, he says, verse 7, for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. We can be entirely certain of something when we're in the family of God. That is, if we're functioning the way we should be. That is if we're experiencing what we have. We can be entirely certain that our rich fellowship will result in tangible evidence of God's grace through you. Whether the times are good and productive or difficult and lean. One thing about the fickleness of our world is when you're on top, they're all over you. But as soon as you slide off the platform, you're a nobody. You're nothing. Nobody cares about you. Well, beloved, that's not the way it's to be in the church. The Apostle Paul's writing from prison. Things are not going well for him in terms of circumstances. He's not able to be out there. And, and, you know, for, as far as he's concerned, he's just writing off a letter. He has no idea this is going to become scripture that, that's valued over 2,000 years. He's, he's writing a letter thinking, man, I'm in prison here. I, I should be out ministering the gospel, reaching people for Christ. And that's why he says, I'm so, I, I so love this church, he says. I so love you guys because whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. They were helping him financially. They were taking care of him. They were looking after him. They didn't abandon him when things were down for him. That's the difference of the Christian community to our productivity-addicted culture. 
Our joy comes in knowing that we stick with each other through thick or thin, in the good times and in the tough times, in the lean times and in the productive times. That's the community of faith that God envisions anyway. That's the one that Christ died for. That's the one we're in because God is at work in all of our circumstances. If we truly believe that, we have to believe that whether Paul was in prison or whether Paul was going all over the place evangelizing, that God was in it, that God was responsible. In fact, Paul regularly identifies himself as in chains for Christ. I'm in prison. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, he says. Well, what was he talking about? Wasn't he a prisoner of Rome? Well, from a man-centered perspective, but as far as Paul was concerned, if Jesus didn't want me in this prison, I wouldn't be in this prison. In fact, that's how the suicidal jailer became a convert in the church at Philippi. It was when actually God decided that it was time for Paul to get out of prison. So he had a little earthquake take place and the jail opens up. So Paul could rightly say, I, I know about it. I'm just a prisoner of Jesus. When Jesus wants me here, I'll be there. If Jesus wants me here, I'll be there. That's the way it works. And so he says, this is how we love one another. We demonstrate our grace that God... The thing that God has given us, we share with each other, whether it's good times or bad times, whether it's lean or productive times. Well, finally, in these last uh, three verses, 9 through 11, um, you know, in terms of this quest for joy, we can either uh, look at the strategies that are shaped by the culture around us and find that miserably, woefully unacceptable, or we can, we can as Paul describes here, uh, embrace love shaped by God, which makes all the difference in the world. The reason the Apostle Paul was so thankful for these uh, believers and so in love with them was because he had so much of Christ functioning through him. It makes all the difference in the world. Joy happens when you know what you can be. So you know who you are, you know what you have, and thirdly, you know what you can be. I'm not sure, again, if, uh, if we as believers know. There's this steady, growing love for one another. Paul is saying here, my prayer for you, verse 9, is that your love may abound more and more. He's not praying for productivity. He's not praying for riches. He's not praying for success. He's not praying for popularity. He's praying that your love might abound for one another. That it might grow more and more. Because the more you love one another, the more evident it is that Christ must be really at work in your life. Because God is love. And that love of God is flowing and demonstrating through us. Let your brothers love you, Paul says, and learn how to love your brothers. Well, what's the strategy here? How do you, how do, you do this? It's one thing to say it. It's one thing to say this is my prayer. But does he give us any insight into how? And he does. He says this unbounded love more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. How can I love my brothers and sisters more? There's no other way than by engaging in the word of God. This knowledge and depth of insight, the word knowledge here, epigenosis, is a spiritual knowledge. Now, of course, this, as I said to you, this church was predominantly Gentile. Predominantly um, flavored by the Greek Gentile persuasion. Now, if you know anything about the Greeks, if you, if you know, th this was an am amazing kind of these churches as they were being founded and having to come together in unity had some real challenges. Uh, they were, we were putting together Jews, Greeks, and Romans and bringing this unity together. And the Jews, of course, were, were quite um, proud of their religious heritage, their religious traditions. And they made an idol out of their religious traditions. The Greeks, on the other hand, were very, very proud of their academic prowess and they were excited about the academia and the culture that they had provided for the world and so they, they kind of had a, an idolatry of intellectualism the Romans on the other hand they, the Greeks as far as the Greek, Greeks were concerned they were copy, copycats of their intellect and, and, and uh, crude barbaric um, 
cultural copycats. But the Romans had made an idol out of power. And so Paul is, is calling them all together. As Jesus Christ brought them together, they've got to get rid of their idols of traditions, their idols of academia, and their idols of power, and come together under Jesus Christ in love with one another. And I'll tell you right now that, that probably the, the biggest concern that I have uh, with the modern church or postmodern church or wherever we are, post-post, the church of 2018 is our idolatry of academia. And I'm not anti-academics. I'm not anti-intellectualism. I'm not anti-scholarship. But there is a problem when we as believers are confronted with academia that conflicts with the scriptures and we are too weak and too cowardice to stand for the truth of God's word in opposition to the intellectuals of the humankind. Intellectualism and academia starts with God. Wisdom begins with God. It starts in the scriptures. So don't be a coward. Don't be an idolater of academia. Paul is calling them out here and saying, you want to be smart? You want to be intelligent? You want to have depth of insight? Then dig into God's word. It will teach you how to live. The theme is the depth of insight. Necessary to be people transformed by the power of God to be able to truly love like Jesus. From there, you'll get it. You'll understand. You'll be able to discern what is best and be, may be pure and blameless, and, and you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness. He moves on from here. If truth shaped, if you are living a truth shaped love, a biblically truth shaped love, you will also live a sun tested life. S O N. Be, so that, verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. Interesting here, this word pure, translated in the New American Standard, is the word sincere. We need to take this apart for a few moments so you understand what we can have. We can have a sun-tested life for maximizing best works to the benefit of others. This word pure or sincere... In fact, uh, if you were translating it literally from the Greek, it's judged by sunlight. Judged by sunlight. A life judged by sunlight. Now, let me explain something to you. In that particular day, and, and why Paul is writing like this, of course, they had two types of pottery that they would make. They had thick pottery, uh, which was, you know, crude and, and, and was used for... Uh, ignoble use, ignoble uses, as it it's talks about in, in Romans, or then there was fine pottery, uh, thin, thin pottery that was shiny and and it required uh, f uh, firing and and it, it had to be um, great work of of art. Uh, but sometimes it would be overfired or whatever, and there'd be cracks that would appear. And in the particular day, the vendors who were trying to sell the pottery would take wax and they would fill in those cracks and the wax would blend in and you couldn't see that it was cracked. So a shrewd buyer would come along and they would insist upon a stamp of authenticity that the product was, uh, was free of cracks. And, and the, the stamp of authenticity, the, word, the words that were used there in Latin to the Romans was sine, S-I-N-E, Sarah. C-E-R-A, which we get our word sincere, literally meaning without wax. So the vendor was guaranteeing that the pot was perfect. It didn't have wax. The Greeks used the word to try and describe that, but they used it a little bit different. They called it um, helacrines, um, judged by the sun, judged by the sunlight. So Paul is literally saying here that when you time test your life according to the scriptures of God, you will be able to discern what is best, what is, is sincere, what is without wax, what is tested by the sunlight. Because the sunlight, of course, 
hot would burn the would melt the wax and it would the cracks would appear so so we are sun tested by the lord jesus christ and so he says here when you are sun tested by the lord jesus christ you will be able to to discern the best way to live and what's right and how to best live right and then ultimately it says here um, you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness when your life unfolds this way you become a righteous fruit tree that nourishes everyone and brings glory and praise to God because then the true essence of Christ living through you abounding in love because that's who Jesus is authenticating the truth of the gospel without wax sun-tested pops forth the fruit of righteousness when you know who you are when you know what you have when you know what you can be you live a life of joyful fruit in unity with your brothers and sisters packaged here is this loving unity joy happens because Christ happened who places us in sweet communion with one another what a glorious truth this is so look yourself in the mirror and remind yourself of who you are so it sets the day upright you go out into the day it's not about feeling it's not about circumstances it's about truth joy is about truth that's settled in your life I know who I am I know whose I am I know what I have I know what I can be and I'm settled in that no matter what happens today no matter what happens tomorrow no matter who I bump into I'm going to represent that truth the confidence that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus that's joy and that should pop from our lives as we understand what we have in Christ Jesus amen amen God thank you so much for your truth Thank you for loving us. Thank you for teaching us how to abound in love, oh God. I pray that we won't short-circuit this. I pray that we will absolutely pour ourselves into this. I pray, oh God, that we would, um, that we would cooperate with everything you want to do in our lives. For our faith is an act of faith. The grace that we've been awarded is to be met by action that authenticates who we are and Lord you have promised to make us able and willing to live that life so Lord I pray that we might embrace your truth to us for Jesus sake amen so what is God really up to in our lives let me illustrate it this way I'm sort of stepping uh, away from a profession that I know anything about to one that I don't know something about but let me just give you an illustration from the world of electricity as I understand it that that voltage times amperage equals power or wattage and that's how God makes his power come alive in our lives the voltage is the force upon the electrons or the force of God's word that pushes through and the amperage is the flow with which that force comes through and we can add resistors to that and impede the force or we can put condensers on it and gather up stuff just for ourselves but the real idea is no resistors no condensers the force and the flow full and at the end we see the power of God the results of God's power his work working in other people's lives through our life so remember that that's how God works the force of his word the flow with which we have to cooperate and then the full force of his power throughout God through through our lives into others others lives so let's remind ourselves of this unity that comes from that joy that comes from the power of God in our lives let's continue to sing
close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we are singing your high priestly prayer. When you, Lord, prayed that we might be one as you and the Father are one, that your joy might be made complete and that joy might be complete in us. So our Father, I pray that we might abound in the scriptures, the truth of the gospel, the experience of the Holy Spirit, that our lives may pop the fruit of the Holy Spirit and that joy may abound as that fruitfulness and righteousness makes an impact in our own lives and those around us. For Jesus' sake I pray, amen.